Rabbit, rabbit, treat him good. Lucky, lucky, knock on wood. Mike Sosha, Tug McGraw, start the podcast. Kumbaya. Woo. You are listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares, and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, local comedian and practitioner of big rig voodoo. And with me, as always, is film critic Daniel Barnes. Hello, everyone. On this show, we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine, and then we review and rate them using our unique system. The system is unique, and it is as follows. A run-of-the-mill bad film, we rate a dare. We rate double dare for those truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare, the hollowed, hollowed reverse dare, for those despised movies that are actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're reviewing The Barbarian Brothers in the movie Think Big. But before we get started, Dan's going to talk about the beer he's drinking during the show. Uh, I am actually drinking a dark beer. I'm drinking a Black is Beautiful. And if you follow the beer scene, you know that this is like a big collaboration, nationwide collaboration project. It was started by Weathered Souls Brewing out of San Antonio. There's no strict recipe. Just make a dark beer and then donate the profits to a local social justice cause in, in your area. So this is actually from Laughing Monk out of San Francisco. I've seen some places, most places do stouts, some do imperial stouts, some do regular stouts, some have ingredients, I've seen some brown ales out there under the Black is Beautiful. Uh, This is an imperial stout with maple syrup. It's a collaboration with a a soul food place down there in San Francisco, and it is absolutely delicious. You can see it's midnight black, um, just this rich chocolatey imperial stout, but then added uh, with the t- dollop of maple syrup. And it's very easy to go overboard with maple syrup. It's one of those ingredients that you can really go overboard in a dark. Yeah. Drink. But man, it is so good, so balanced, so tasty. This is a, a delicious uh, dessert beer for me. Um, but yeah, that is uh, fantastic. Go and support those beers, buy those beers, because you are not only going to drink a fantastic beer by a great brewery, but you're also going to support a local uh, charity or nonprofit group in your area that is fighting for social justice and all the stuff that we want to happen. Yes. So now let's read a couple of dares that have been sent in by our wonderful listeners. Uh, you, the podcast listener, you are setting these dares. You're going to the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. You see the thing, it says submit a dare, boom, you're clicking it, you're submitting a dare. Yes. First dare is from Julio from the contrarians julio from the contrarians this is a podcast the contrarians is a podcast julio is one of the podcasters what do you got for us julio from the contrarians julio has the jesus rolls the jesus rolls this is a movie from 2019 it is directed written by and starring john Turturro as jesus his character from The Big Lebowski. I did not know this movie existed until we got this dare. Me neither. I literally didn't know this existed. This came out last year. A sequel to Big Lebowski came out last year. <laughs> and no one heard about it. It what? focused on Jesus. The, it's the, about the pederast. Yes, the <laughs> child like, molester. Let's get into that a little bit more. Um, but in addition to Totoro, it's an, it also features Bobby Cannavale, Audrey Tattoo, Susan Sarandon, John Hamm, Christopher Walken, Corky. You That's mean... Your Christopher Walken. Perfect. It's Perfect. cold. <laughs> and more. And uh, although it is a spinoff of the Coen Brothers movie, The Big Lebowski, I'm not sure if it's a prequel, sequel, or what the fuck it is, but it is also adapted from a book by French writer and <laughs> filmmaker Bertrand Blyer. 
<laughs> I don't understand. Why did Julio the, the Contrarians want us to watch this? He says, I rented this movie for 99 cents, and I feel like it owes me money. Since I can't really sue Turturro for reparations, the next best thing is hearing you guys talk about it. IMDb synopsis of the Jesus Rolls is as follows. A trio of misfits whose irreverent, sexually charged dynamic. Sexually oh, charged. God. He's a pederast, goddamn. Yeah. Uh, dynamic evolves into a surprising love story as their spontaneous and flippant attitude towards the past or future backfires time and again. <sighs> what? <laughs> like this seems like a joke that someone made up, but it's an actual movie. And John Turturro, who has directed a bunch of kind of small indie yeah. movies, he, he all, made, all of he, them bad. Really, didn't he make um, Mac that movie about three brothers who are carpenters, <laughs> like in the nineties? Exactly, and that like what we're at, now he's making a wacky adventure about a, a child molester, <laughs> about a goofy pederast. So that's the Jesus rule. That's a great dare from yes. uh, Julia from the Contrarians because, as just about everyone does, I really enjoy the film The Big Lebowski, um, and Turturro's very entertaining in the film, despite obviously he plays a really um, repellent character, but um, a lot of people in that movie do. Um, and it's a really entertaining film, and uh, it's interesting that they made a horrible sequel to it. Also, I just want to say thank you, Julio. He sent us a really, really nice note uh, letting us know the only way we could ever disappoint him is if we stopped making episodes. Oh, yeah. Julio. Yeah. Right? Not too contrarian. Pretty agreeable. Yeah. Hmm. Might have to rename the podcast there, bro. And now, our feature presentation. Think big. No doubt about, about it. <laughs> this week's movie is Think Big, starring the Barbarian Brothers, and it was dared to us by longtime friend of the podcast, pal of the show, Mike Dub. Mike Dub. Why did Mike Dub dare us think big? He says, I remember this movie being on constantly in my preteen cable watching days. I don't remember anything specific about it, but it's got to be one of the worst movies ever made. Starring the Barbarian twins, Peter Paul and David Paul, as shenanigan-prone truck drivers who pick up the, a teenage nerd. <laughs> sort of like Over the Top, if that movie had two Stallones but no arm wrestling. The movie also features cameos by some of your favorite comedic actors of all time, Michael Winslow, Martin Mull, Richard Mole, and Richard Keel. A veritable roundtable of comedy in 1990, I recommend hazmat suits for this one. Ah, I get that. The IMDb synopsis for Think Big... Two somewhat retarded, Jesus, two somewhat retarded truckers. That's the real synopsis. Yeah, this is on IMDb. <laughs> That's this is direct quote. Two somewhat retarded, I keep saying it too. <laughs> two somewhat retarded truckers hired to transport toxic waste across the country get caught up with a teen genius who stows away on their truck. Yes, this week's feature presentation is Think Big. The film No doubt starred- about it. No doubt about it. You want to say it every single time. I do. Catchy. <laughs> Film stars Peter and David Paul, who were real life twins. And speaking of beer, let's pour one out for David Paul, who uh, passed away in March of this year, just two days before what would have been his 63rd birthday, although he is survived by his twin brother, Peter. Uh, and we should say David Paul is not the David Paul who has frequently dared us to watch various things, including Doolittle and who was best man at my wedding. Uh, Do we know that for sure? Different guy. Do we know that? I I don't. No, we we know it for sure. We know it for sure because the other one is dead. (laughs) Hey, I wouldn't put anything past DP at this point. 
He's a rapscallion, that's for sure. The Barbarian Brothers, Peter and David Paul. They're twins. They're both about six foot tall. They are yoked to the freaking gills. Arnold in his prime. They look like action figures come to life. They really do look like He-Man come to life with a Hulk head, right? Because they both have long hair, usually wear cutaway uh, tank tops and t-shirts. They've got the Jersey Shore fake tan where there's no tan line, no gradation. It's definitely an all-over fake tan. Yeah, absolutely. They're just, I mean, they're obviously just very striking looking people. They would be striking one on their own, right? But then you're like, holy fuck, there's two of these like freaks. Like it's, they're pretty amazing, right? The other kind of notable thing to me about them is that, like I said, they have kind of hulkish heads. The space where, the space between where their hairline ends and where their eyebrows begin (laughs) is like, it is a sliver of. Of, of skin that just threatens to just disappear entirely. Like, they have so tiny little foreheads. They first got noticed when they burst into the L.A. bodybuilding scene of the 1980s. After scoring a couple of small little kind of background roles, they starred in a Canon-produced Conan knockoff called The Barbarians in 1987. And kind of producing crappy knockoffs of the action stars of the era is sort of the stock and trade of these four movies. Like we said, Barbarians came right after the Conan films. Dub talked about the connection between this movie and Over the Top with Stallone. Uh, Their next movie after this was called Double Trouble, which was just a ripoff of Double Impact, which came out the year (laughs) before. And then in 1993, Hulk Hogan makes Mr. Nanny. So what happens the next year? These two make Twin Sitters. Like, this is all that they fucking did was produce these straight-to-video kind of knockoffs of the big action movies. Uh, this film also marked the directorial debut of John Turtletob, who would go on to direct such dareworthy films as Three Ninjas, Cool Runnings, Phenomenon, Instinct the Kid, National Treasure Movies, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Las Vegas, The Meg... Uh, he also co-wrote Think Big, so another feather in his cap. The movie yeah. was released March 9, 1990. Uh, kind of hard to find now. I think you found it on YouTube, right? Yeah, I watched it on YouTube. There's no critics' reviews of this movie on Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic. Wait, what? Couldn't find any box office numbers for the films. And honestly, even I was looking at the obituaries for David Paul uh, from last March, and all of them mentioned the other three movies and not this movie. Most of them even mentioned the deleted scene that these two had from Natural Born Killers, and, and you can watch that online. Apparently there's a story that I couldn't find the the actual story of it, but I remembered reading at the time that the, the when Quentin Tarantino was a just kind of young guy in Hollywood trying to get movies made. And he was kind of shopping natural born killers around. These two guys offered him some money to keep writing, but write a role for them in the movie. And when all of a sudden made the movie, he actually did shoot that scene, but ended up cutting it. Um, But like I said, you can watch it on YouTube. Corky, 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 Corky. Right off the bat, think big. You know you're in good hands <laughs> when you're watching a film that is distributed by a company called Media <laughs> and produced by a company called Motion Picture. <laughs> Media, Home Entertainment, and Motion Picture Corporation of America are the first two things. Did this deliver everything you would have expected from production and distribution companies that almost named themselves defensively (laughs) (laughs) 
We swear this is a motion picture. Why are you saying it's not? Look at the name of the company. Come on. What did you think of this movie? Uh, this movie delivered like a big rig crossing several states, <laughs> but never actually leaving the Los Angeles Tustin area. There are there's no lighting. There's no wind socks on the mics. There's no second takes. No. And John Turtletaub is a master at uh, turning on a camera. (laughs) No things. Uh, Yeah, it is hilariously shoddy. Like, hilariously shoddy. And it is weirdly sweet that these two guys with no acting ability and uh, no real screen charisma or presence either decided, you know what? Let's be movie stars together. Yeah. (laughs) Let's let's do that because we're like big and muscly. Let's be the butt of a joke for 90 minutes. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, they seem like nice enough guys. And as I was reading about them, like they they seem to dedicate – I mean, they 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 kind of hit the wall in the '90s, right? I mean, the '80s ended, the '90s started, and obviously they couldn't keep it lasting, right? So they've had the last quarter century kind of living out of the public eye, and it seems like they mostly been writing poetry and creating art and doing things like that. Probably yeah. bad art and bad poetry, but like, there's these guys who seem like nice guys, and they want to like create art and do kinds of things. They're crazily out of their element. Yes, headlining a feature film. And so it's really left up to the seasoned veterans in the cast to deliver. <laughs> and they did not. <laughs> they did not. All those names that Mike Dub rattled off, Martin Mole, Michael Winslow, Richard Mall, all those people. Like, Richard Keel. Those, those are the people who should feel slightly ashamed of sure. this film and their work in it. It's poorly made, poorly acted, but I'm not, I don't dislike this movie. You know, yeah. I, I don't have anything against it. Yeah, except general badness. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to venerate it, but they are oddly sweet. Yeah, absolutely. and and the buy-in is a hundred percent of what they could give. They gave a hundred percent. All right, let's get into it. We talked about the production company logos. That immediately, you're like, well, nothing's going to bottom that. It gets bottomed right away by one hell of a cheap ass animated opening credit sequence. That opening credits animation is just garbage. It is so bad. It's trying to be this like Looney Tunes yeah. uh, adventure, crashing cars, running into walls. But once again, no one spent any time on None. this. Like, they just routed it off as quick as they could just to get it done. And while this is happening, the title song of the movie plays. <laughs> and the song is written and performed by David and Peter Paul, the Barbarian Brothers. But Corky... It's not a cliched 1980s white guy talk rap, is it? No, it's not bad. This the <laughs> whole thing. I swear to God, I wanted to li- just mock this relentlessly, <laughs> but it had this 1983, 1984 Run DMC feel to it. Oh my God. I have been listening to that no less than 10 times since I watched this movie. Jesus God. <laughs> it's better than anything Vanilla Ice has ever done. Oh, ouch to Vanilla. I mean, true enough, but ouch. Um, yeah, God, I thought it was awful. I thought it was just <laughs> awful. To me, it's like the thing where like, it, it, white people in that time, that is what they think rap is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. it's da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da-da-da. Yeah. 
and it's, which again, oh, fuck, it's, trash. it's six years past Rock Box or King of Rock by Remy <laughs> G, which in hip hop is like an eon of time. But I was I was pleasantly surprised by their flow. Speaking of an eon, we are oh. at the three minute forty second mark when the f- opening credits finally end. The song finally ends, and we see actual live action footage. We're four minutes into an 87-minute movie. <laughs> and what's fucking nuts is that's not even the extended version of the song. You get oh, that at no, the there's end. There's a it's longer like version. Six minutes. Just wait for it. Just wait. So we see the uh, Chiron somewhere in Montana, the present, and we get the first of, as I was saying, this is the constant throughout the movie, ADR bickering. ADR bickering. So we just see this truck, and we hear the two brothers, and they're bickering about something or other. What's going on? We don't know. They're being chased, or they're driving fast. And as it turns out, there's a woman giving birth in the back of their truck, and they think riders are unlucky. But two riders are extremely unlucky, so they need to get her to the hospital as fast as they can. They crash through all the closed road signs. And the brother who is driving, his, uh, you know, he's doing the fake wheel work where your just hands are all like just yes. yanking up and down on the wheel. You're just like, you're driving a semi truck. That would like jackknife you yes. if you did that. <laughs> like, you can't do that. And it um, says somewhere in Montana, but this is just outside of LA. This is in the LA Hills. This is Tustin. In the same this area, possibly on the same day. All of these chases were filmed. Yeah. Um, and you hear one of the brothers say, Get the chicken bone, would you? Just get the chicken bone. <laughs> so they start doing this chicken bone song, which is the first of many chicken bone songs in this movie. And the first of many chants. Mm-hmm. They love the chant. We One of the twins ends up in the back of the cab with the pregnant woman, and he's now got a catcher's mitt and his hat turned backwards. And is <laughs> screaming at her. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing. I don't know who it is, David or Peter Paul. He shout. It's the one who's playing Rafe. He shouts. Every yeah. line. Oh, They're both marble mouthed the whole oh, time, yeah. but he shouts marbly mouthed. Yeah. It so they're twins, so it's kind of hard to tell them apart. I mean, they're not fully identical twins. You can tell them apart if you're really paying attention. Yeah. But it does seem as though one of them is set up. They're they're kind of set up as like kind of the good cop, bad cop in a way. Like one of the brothers is sort of like kind of high strong and a little yeah. more angry, and then one of them's more kind of lighthearted and goofy. But I swear to God, there were some scenes where they just flipped it around. They were just sure. like, ah, I'm, I want to be the guy who yells in this scene. The only way I could tell them apart was by their shirts. One was right, yeah. <laughs> half through, one track. of them puts on the most hideous like Banlon shirt, which is like for him, it, it just they it had to be like a custom made like out of a tarp or something yeah. like that. One wears a um, spaghetti, spaghetti strap tank top that yes. cuts down around his nipples, and then the other one wears like a sarong for his top. Like it's just <laughs> open, just to expose the underside of his pecs, yeah. and then drapes across his elbows. Like a, it's like a shawl. That you'd pull over your head. So they arrive at the hospital, finally, but the cops are in chase. Uh, they come out of the truck. The cop pulls a gun, ready to murder them all. Um, yes. Realism. Uh, but his heart is melted by the sight of a white baby. <laughs> Happy ending. Um, and it's a five-month-old baby, at least. This woman know, gave birth right? to a five-month-old baby. It's just amazing. Baby has uh, hair. It can actually track with its eyes. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, Sweeney, uh-oh, David Carradine asked Sweeney, he's the repo man, and while all this confusion is going on, he steals their truck. Uh, they're gonna, th- this sets up one of, 
about 30 ticking clocks in this movie, which yeah. is like, you're going to lose your truck if you don't make money to pay it off. Okay. Right. Sweeney is the repo man. He's going to get it. They foiled him this time, but he'll be back. Okay. When he shows up and he takes the truck, they both go, Sweeney, but they couldn't <laughs> keep a take where they said it at the same time. It goes, say Sweeney. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's not at the same time and they did not want to go back and do it again like, or, or no, they, maybe they did it a thousand times yeah, and know, they could right? just never get it i can't get it when you say sweeney you you punch me in the arm <laughs> and then i'll know that you're saying sweeney <laughs> so back at the uh truck stand and you want uh, to talk about an actor's round table I mean, holy moly rafer johnson Sure. Tom Tiny Lister mm, mm-hmm. and a dwarf. <laughs> and they are talking about knitting. When Tiny Lister is the best actor in a scene oh, in an right? ensemble. Yeah. Really brought up some gravitas. Unfortunately, this is his only scene in the movie. I know. He's gone. Goodbye, and Tiny he Lister. He even had the Z in his head. Was he referred to as Zeus before the wrestling movie No Holds Barred? Because he was kind of I'm rocking that sure. for a bit. He was, but I think this is almost like the, the same time. This is like right after the movie or maybe he just, he could, during. He's probably, yeah, just it's on just a like, break. Leave it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so in verse Richard Maul, this is Bull from Night Court, but he has hair. It's disconcerting. It is. Uh, he bursts in. He's their boss at the track stand, and he is pissed. Another kind of recurring thing in this movie because of comedy is that uh, the brothers, because the brothers are very large, um, but you've also cast Richard uh, Maul, six foot eight, and Richard Carroll, who is a giant, and they're larger even than the large men. Ah, so he towers over the brothers and he says, "I get a gas bubble every time <laughs> you take out a load." <laughs> so there's that. One of the uh, brothers is barely keeping it together in this scene. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> he's giggling. How did we not get like an outtakes? Uh... Uh, reeled her in the closing. They credits. kept every single thing. Smoking. I don't think <laughs> they, they, they did not throw away a single frame no. of film. That is the turtle top touch. Um, but yeah, the brothers need to save their truck, right? So they agree to haul this pile of toxic waste from this company in Montana called Techstar and take it all the way to California. And they better deliver that toxic waste on time. Yeah, what? It's like, that's really important toxic waste. We got to do it right now. So the boss, Richard Mall, inserts into their truck a literal ticking clock. Yes. He's like, here you are. Here's a 48 hours to get to California and deliver the toxic waste. He calls it the foul-up machine, which I guess he calls it that because this movie is for families. So think of that later when Richard Kyle is eager to rape a 16-year-old girl. Um, or at the beginning when the pregnant woman is saying fuck and shit in the back. <laughs> right. They kept that. I don't Why not? the foul up clock was just it was obviously they were saying fuck up clock. So we cut to Techstar. This is the company disposing of the toxic waste. And it's this electronics company, but it's run as like a school that exploits <laughs> child geniuses. Like okay. children get to go to school free, but the This is where I was like, all right, just fucking check out on anything making sense in this movie. Like <laughs> Yeah. So Martin Mole is uh one of the mucking mucks at Techstar. He's presenting to a villain convention. Did you know that he... these guys were the mafia? <laughs> they were, it was Did you know that? 
I found that out by watching the trailer. I had no <laughs> idea they were the mafia. They, they could be anybody. They're just generic villains as presented in the film. They could be government people. They could be mafia people. Their credits are villain number one and villain number two. Peter Lupus plays villain number one. That's almost too specific for what they're giving <laughs> us here. That's, that's almost like you've, you've, you've added too much information. You've value added. Uh, but yeah, they're just a bunch of generic villains, as we said. And he's presenting this device that can turn off electrical circuits and was invented by this 16-year-old student named Holly. And as he's presenting it, Holly sees the lights flicker on and off, and she's in another classroom, and she's like, oh, shit, what the F's going on? So she wants to sneak out of the class, but there's a, a goon, one of a the German many Texter goon. goons, yeah, who is saying, now you can't leave the class. I'm a, I'm a goon. I have to protect you. And, of course, she uses the classic line, I think I just got my period. And at which point he's like, <laughs> no response. Um, so she's able to leave the class, and then she just goes and listens as these generic mafia villains monologue their evilness. The, the One of the bad guys goes, uh, when he shows him that it can turn off devices on and off, he yes. says, Well, sorry, Mr. Secretary of State. Because that's yeah. how you know a real good villain. He reveals his plans to murder the Secretary of they State. They do it right out there. Is they, they want to do a test, and they're like, can you shut off this pacemaker that is very similar to the one worn by the Secretary of State? Wink, <laughs> wink. And then he's like, okay, well, you gave up too much information there. And then when it, they, it does the test and it works, he's like, sorry, Mr. Secretary. <laughs> You'll be murdered soon. I mean, oh, shit. Oh, he's in the room. Um, but yeah, the third test, something goes wrong. Um, so these guys are pissed off. They say, fix the glitches. And then they give Mart Mole a ticking clock. 48 hours to fix the glitches. <laughs> so we got a lot of ticking clocks. I'm not sure if they're synchronized ticking clocks. Because it's 48 hours, but we got them at different times. Hard to say. But Holly's pissed off. Holly's pissed off. So she burst into the office of... The school therapist? I guess. If that's what I'm, I'm saying. Right. Just check out on however just this like, is supposed to make sense. This lady is just the lady who's going to help her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's a doctor at the school. Uh, she comes in and because it seems like she's an administrator, but when Holly bursts in, she is in a therapy session with this kid, Mitchell, what appears to be a therapy session, right? Yeah. He's on the couch. He seems to be very uncomfortable talking about stuff. Mitchell, by the way, to me walks away with this movie. Mitchell <laughs> wipes the floor with everybody he's on screen with. Yeah, loved Mitchell, especially in this scene where he just has his finger in his mouth and he's kind of darting his eyes around. <laughs> um, but the doctor's basically like, hey, whatever, you know what you signed up for. Take a hike. This is Mitchell's time. This is yeah, Mitchell's they, time. She keeps saying that. They've entered into contracts with these children, with these underage students. They're like, you knew the deal when you started going to the school. We get all the, your inventions. When you were seven and you signed this contract, <laughs> you knew what you were signing up for. Holding up like a crayon written thing. <laughs> right? You said for 11 billion gillion dollars. <laughs> and a flying horse. And we have delivered on, well, none of that. Um, but yeah, so she goes into Martin Mole now. So now she goes to see Martin Mole. What's your deal, Martin Mole? So he lies to the girl about the evil plans. And says he's not gonna not gonna you know sell it to evil people. He doesn't know that she you know eavesdropped yeah. on him and saw the whole thing. So he lies to her about it. But then he also tells her that this invention will make them quote Robin Leach rich. This <laughs> is the fucking eighties, right? Or was 90s, Robin right? Leach rich? I thought he just hosted the that's show. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> I, just, that's, I don't. 
Wasn't he just the host? Also, why? Why? Yeah. What are the non-evil applications of this device that she has created that can just turn off electrical circuits or like change red lights to green lights? What is the application to a consumer commercial market for this fucking device? It seems like it could only be used for bad things. Sure, exactly. But yes. they are just a like she is convinced that this is a great device and it's going to help humanity and she's going to make they're all going to make a ton of money off it, right? Um but anyway, Martin Mole, the point of this scene is that Martin Mole takes his ticking clock and is like, "Hey, now I'm going to hand you the ticking clock. Now you have 48 hours to fix the glitches." So this is our fourth ticking clock now. So Martin Mole does not leave this room for the rest of the movie until the very end. Oh, I know, He filmed everything in two days. Everything this afternoon. Come on. I got dinner plans. Uh, Holly is doing a thing that you could do in movies in the 80s where you just type things on a computer. Like, text chatting, like, we all do it now and and kind of, like, take it for granted. Like, it wasn't a thing. Like, it wasn't a thing. But she just text chats with her boyfriend back in L.A. and is like, I'm leaving and coming to L.A., I'm going to escape the school. But who's eavesdropping on it? Why, it's Mitchell. Mitch, my boy. And uh, he sees that she's going to escape to go to California, Los Angeles, to see her boyfriend. That same place the brothers are going, interestingly enough. And he promises, Mitchell promises not to tell. Speaking of the the brothers. I love the way this shot is framed, though, because you see Mitchell behind her over her shoulder kind of looking at what – and it's a real like all the president's men like Woodward Bernstein where he's checking out that he's on a story and (laughs) kind of looking at what he's doing, making his (laughs) – Mitchell is Bernstein in this. Right. (laughs) So the brothers arrive at Techstar. Remember, they're coming to get the nuclear Texaquase. We are treated to a scene. Where they, I think they sing 99 bottles of beer in the wall in real time. Like we get through the whole song. They do a lot of singing. They, they do the 99 bottles. They also sing the chicken bone song again. (laughs) Later on, they sing the Beverly Hillbillies theme as they're coming into California. I mean, again, they sing the title track. These guys do it all. Yeah. It's a Spotify station of Barbarian Brothers show tunes. But this so is how- this is one of my favorite sequences when the Barbie and Brothers show up at, at the school. Yeah. And we're treated, Turtle Top, just a master, we're treated to a shot of them at a checkpoint to enter and a guard talking to them. Cut back to Holly and Mitchell. Cut back to the truck outside at the gate driving in. That's it. That's You got a shot of the truck at the gate talking to a security guard and then a shot of it driving. They cut away and cut back to it. Yeah. Ah, uh, I mean, not, just not super necessary. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Holly's trying to escape, so she uses her device to screw up all of the security systems and sneak outside. Again, non-evil applications only. In this case, yeah, like if you're escaping from like evil people, I guess it's good, but generally it's not good to put a product out on the market that will shut down security systems. <laughs> That's actually a bad thing to have out there. That's not good. Um, so the brothers are waiting for their toxic waste uh, to get loaded. One of the brothers loses a quarter in a Coke machine. Yeah. And so he smashes it up, and Holly uses that diversion to sneak onto the truck. And the brothers look at each other, and they say, because, again, they love to like look at each other and just say weird yeah. non sequiturs, a Coke and a smile. <laughs> They both say it at the same time. Earlier, they look at each other, they go, baby. Yes. It's not the scene with the baby in it. No. We just had the scene where they're picking up Cokes and change from the Coke machine after ruining it. She's skulking around the toxic wake barrels and sneaks into the cab. 
The next scene, they're now driving on the freeway. Yes. Rafe is having a real existential crisis. They, they start well, by playing Operation. Vic, Vic is playing. Vic is yeah. masked up like a doctor. Like he's losing his patient when he does. Yeah, like it's uh, he's he's doing a whole uh, a whole bit, and then right in the middle of the bit, the other one says, "Ever think about dad?" <laughs> he's looking at the window. <laughs> and which, which the other one replies, "Every time I puke." <laughs> just, real, I mean, real. That's we just we just idea of a meaningful conversation. <laughs> and he's. he's <laughs> He's facing his own mortality in the cabin. This chick, his brother, right? is wearing a surgeon mask and playing Operation, and, and Vic driving the truck. is sweaty and oily in this scene for some reason. Like his face is glistening, his chest is oiled up. Rafe dry as a bone. I know, right? Vic was just like, "I'm gonna get in a quick workout before we do this scene. I'm just gonna crawl for fifty, though." <laughs> Give me an intern. I can bench press real fast. <laughs> While this is all going on, they uh, Holly is listening to this stupid conversation and actually cries out, what a stupid conversation. Uh, at which point they're like, what, writer? And they see she's in the truck and she she doesn't actually tell them the whole story about like the stolen invention and how right. the goons are coming to get her and all this kind of stuff. She just says, you know, take me to the to the airport in Billings, Montana. It's on your way to California. Drop me off there and it's all good. So they decide we're going to do that. Not to derail too much, I want to talk a little bit about like how this movie is structured. Like we talked about how shoddy everything is. Movies aren't plays, okay, and they shouldn't be, but most films generally follow a three act structure. Like they sure. maybe don't follow those, you know, follow it uh, to the letter or anything like that, but generally you have set up confrontation, resolution, and they're kind of portioned out generally into thirds. Even films of nonlinear plots have a three-act structure, generally. I mean, if you kind of look past it and into it, it's just a smart way to organize the story. This movie, I don't even know what structure it has. Like, this, the the scene where they get to the airport, that is a classic, like, end of act one kind of setup. It doesn't happen. It's, like, halfway through the movie. We're, like, we're halfway through the movie now. It looked, instead of setup, (laughs) confrontation, resolution, it goes, like, confrontation, setup, confrontation, confrontation, resolution, confrontation, setup, or something like that. Like it's yeah. just, it's it's gibberish the way this is all set up, and it, it's so clunky. We set up two ticking clocks for the brothers in the first 20 minutes, yes. and then the next 20 minutes, more ticking clocks are set up, but they fuck around the whole time. Like, they, they don't even <laughs> no. start until this airport scene. That's what I'm saying. It's like... In this movie's kind of version of the three-act structure, the third act is maybe 10 minutes. Like, <laughs> yes. The first act goes on for 45 minutes. The second act is probably 15 minutes. The third act is 10 <laughs> minutes. And then there's about a 10-minute epilogue. <laughs> like, and, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And if you, and not to get too far ahead, but if you think about it, they don't even resolve the movie, the whole point of their ticking clock, the whole movie. Just at the end, they're like, that's fine. And yeah. then they just get a new truck bought for them. Yeah, just let it go. <laughs> So anyway, the brothers, uh, uh, we go back to Techstar. He realizes that the girl took his credit cards and he cancels her reservations. So we go back to Billings. The brothers drop her off, but she can't get on the plane because her reservations have been canceled. Uh, But the brothers don't take off because one of the brothers says, 
I still got to take a gigantor whiz. <laughs> so he goes in and sees Holly get captured by the henchmen. And this starts a big comedy fight with the brothers and the Techstar goons at the quote unquote airport. Billings Airport, which is like which, a, probably <laughs> a Holiday Inn in Ventura. I'd say is like some sort of abandoned, like I'm thinking an abandoned mini mall or like a part of a, a hotel or convention center that was closed or something yes. like that. Uh, but then Holly steals their truck and uh, she it, she does find second because she's smart, remember? And they run to catch up. This is kind of a funny bet. They run yeah. to catch up and Holly is like in the truck and she's just driving and driving. And it goes on for a little while. And then all of a sudden the brothers just like both at the same time swoop upside down in front of the windshield and yell, Paul over. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good bit. (laughs) So she stops the truck and tells the whole story this time, which melts their heart. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take you to to California. That's fine. And then one of them puts on Groucho glasses. That's yes. Okay. So there's like a few moments in this movie where I just started fucking dying because she's having this really tender moment where she's revealing all this. She, she hasn't been honest with anybody and she's a tortured genius kid and she's opening up to these guys to, to that. She's trust them and behind her. He's putting on Groucho glasses and it knows. And it's, you just can't stop doing bits, man. That's I know, right? But that's the level here. That's the level. You just feel the brothers being like, we need to have more comedy in this scene. I'll put on these funny glasses. You get the idea that the Barbarian Brothers, and I'm not talking about Vic and Rafe, the characters. I'm talking about actually David, Paul, yeah. and Peter Paul. They think those glasses are fucking hilarious. Like They, they exactly. probably put those on and would laugh all night. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is comedy to them. This is where I started wondering, how do they keep those fake tans? Because they're inside a cab for days on end. There's no tanning bed in the back. We've seen it. The pregnant woman was back there. Now we meet Richard Kyle. Uh, You might know him as Jaws from the Bond films. Another hired goon. Uh, they tell uh, Mitch, Richard, uh, Martin Mole tells him he can do whatever he wants to the girl when he captured her, and he is disturbingly happy, like yes. gleeful, gleeful. We have our next Sweeney scene. David Carradine is fucking hammered in this scene. Oh my god! He is slurring <laughs> through his words. He picks up a phone and says, "Hi, boss. It's Sweeney." <laughs> there, I could just imagine they were like. David, there's no boss character. You don't need to be talking. To him. I know, right? Like, wait, this scene does not involve a phone call. Where, where did you get that phone? How does he know where this truck is going to be all the time? This guy who wants to be Sweeney. As he says to himself, you are the Albert Einstein of repo. Which means that what? He did his best work as a patent clerk 20 years ago. <laughs> they... They really could have cut Sweeney. Oh, God, yes. Completely out of this film. He is not needed. I know it's an 87-minute movie, but it could have been a 77-minute movie with no Sweeney because he does not add anything. And I like David Carradine. I love, yeah, I love he's probably the best actor in this movie, and but he is sloshed. It's him in a car. It's just yeah. him in a car. He's not. He really does not interact with anybody very much. The other thing is like, he every time he tries to take the car, they're around. Never does he try to repo the fucking truck while the Barbarian Brothers are like inside eating or, yeah, or fighting in an airport. Or at the hotel or anything like that. Yeah, during the airport fight. He waits till the fight's over and then steals the truck. Anyway, um, 
Another ticking clock montage. There's like four ticking clock montages in this thing. And in all of them, it's like a map and the car is going through the map. And then we see Richard Mall pop up be like, you better be on time. <laughs> 70% of this movie is maps. The uh, other 30% is acting classes. <laughs> so they stop at a, a truck stop. They fill up. They go into the restaurant. And as one of the brothers goes in the bathroom, a waitress... Oh yanks him and basically sexually assaults him just mounts yes. him and just starts going to town ripping his clothes off but yuck yuck it's the wrong twin Comedy. we get a sight we get a boob shot pretty much because she's she's ripped her shirt open she's showing her bra and i was like this is for families <laughs> i don't she know pun- who this was for she punches him when she finds yeah. out it's the wrong twin and her boob kind of pops out of her bra <laughs> Uh, and it's, I just imagine a 10-year-old watching this with his folks be like, uh, can we watch that movie again with the big wrestlers? So they meet Michael Winslow at the truck stop, and they decide to dump Holly on him. <laughs> I don't know why. That's right. It's like, all right, here's a stranger, but not before she sneaks into the back and spies on the brother and the waitress going to town on each other. <laughs> she watches a little too long, I'll, I'll be honest. Way too long. And then is super judgmental about it. It looked like an episode of Red Shoe Diaries, the way she was lingering in about watching. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, okay, so I was reminded, I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but I was reminded of the 80s when Michael Winslow was in movies. Yeah. And you just kind of had to politely smile and nod while he did his bits because they're never funny. <laughs> Not Nothing. Funny. It's not, and even in this movie, you watch every time he does something, everybody goes. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like canned laughter with actual people. My favorite scene in this entire movie oh. is Holly explaining to Rafe while Vic is in there getting molested by the waitress. She's explaining the TK four thousand or whatever the Telestar four thousand. Right. Her device. It, and he's just staring and eating while he's while she's talking. And this is the performance that they nailed. A vapid, vague understanding of words being spoken at you <laughs> while you eat. He fucking bodied that role. Up there with anything Nick Cage did in Deadfall. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. This blank expression on his face <laughs> is the funniest fucking thing. I got to carbo load while I learn things or else I won't learn them. <laughs> so they just... Your mouth looks like a kettlebell that I would lift. <laughs> so Richard Kyle captures Holly along with the other Techstar goons. It must be, it's, it's like, much like when anybody just had to tolerate Michael Winslow. It's like, why did everybody act like Richard Keel was scary? Like, I know, just because he's tall. The man could barely move. That's what it's thing is like, they always had some shot where it was like, run. And you could be like, you could just tell they're just shooting the top half of his body. This guy could barely even get, like, in these scenes where you see his whole body, he's like wobbly. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, he's like obviously standing still. And then they'll do a scene where it's like, run, Richard Keel. And it just shows like the top half of his body. A happy Gilmore, like, he'd be leaning on somebody the whole, every time he's in a scene. It's like, yeah, that's not an imposing thing. No, Holy it's sad. Like, Hang on. Let me lean on this guy. Um, but yeah, so uh, they all take off. They stop at a hotel. 
they get one room together for these two uh, twin barbarian yeah. brothers and the 16-year-old girl they've absconded with. Uh, they're taking her across state lines, so this is sure. technically human trafficking. <laughs> it's fine. Why are you making a big deal out of it? Um, she immediately goes to take a shower. Why? Yes. What, like, why is any of this happening? Like, get two rooms, A, there's one, and then B, like, you, like, first thing, get a shower? Like, just settle, settle in a little bit. When the doctor who actually cares about her shows up yeah. at the motel, however she knew they were fucking staying there, who knows? <laughs> she comes in with a gun, ready to rescue her, sees that she's in the shower coming out, and was like, Okay, this seems fine. Oh, you guys okay, got it's it. Fine. And Holly's like, "Oh, I know these guys." She's like, "Oh, okay, cool." So it's just these two twin giants. You're, just... you're in a hotel room taking a shower in another state. If we've learned <laughs> anything about the '80s, it's like every truck driver is a serial killer. It's like she's, like, you're just bathing in front of these two steroid-fueled serial killers. Okay. But yeah, the doctor shows up with a gun and holds up the brother and keeps trying to tie him up, but he just keeps coming right out of the ropes. It's like this whole bit that goes on. Um, but the, yeah, like you say, Holly comes out and the doctor's like, oh, okay, everything's fine. And so they all eat pizza and, of course, drink Coke mm-hmm. together and everything is okay. And the doctor agrees she's going to take Holly back to Los Angeles and she also starts to fall for one of the brothers. Next morning, though, uh-oh, Sweeney. <laughs> Again, waits for them to wake up and come out of the hotel to steal the thing. Not even to wake up. The the other brother is in the back. He was loading the damn truck. He got him while he was loading the truck. It's like, like hey, wake up an hour earlier, Sweeney. What's he loading into the truck? They took the toxic waste out and then loaded it back in? Exactly. No (laughs) idea. No idea. Yeah. But Sweeney takes off with the truck. Vic's in the back. They all get into the doctor's car. Here's another comedy car chase. And in this car chase, they they like checked every box. They hit a fruit stand. Yes. There is hillbilly chase music going on. We go back to Montana where Martin Mull corners my boy Mitchell, breaks him, and finds out Holly's plan. So he's on the hunt. Jaws, meanwhile, Richard Kyle, traps the group again. The truck's... I did not understand what was even no. happening in this scene. It really didn't make any sense. But the truck yeah. stops on the railroad tracks for some reason. I and wrote, I guess a train is coming somewhere to do something. I know. Yes, they, they didn't have train money for this movie. So they had to wait until a train actually came <laughs> by. Like, shoot it. They weren't like, we can do this anytime. Uh, but yeah, the truck somehow stops on the tracks. And they're doing the chicken bone song to try to start it. And... Basically, all the goons have them dead to rights, but they're like, oh, my God, there's toxic waste in that truck. Let's get the hell out of here. So they, they take off, uh, and the, the girl can't do the electrical thing. I don't For know some what, reason. I don't know why the truck stopped. Was it because of her electrical device, or was it some other reason? No idea. I, I don't think we'll ever know, honestly. But while she's doing this, she accidentally rewires their foul-up clock so that it, it says it has more time than it does. But the chicken bone song works. Truck starts, they're saved, chicken bone every time. So they get to L.A., finally get to L.A. and leave Holly with her much older-looking boyfriend. Everything about Holly's situation made me extremely uncomfortable. This is a bad, bad thing that they're doing. Maybe that's just me. That's just paternalism. I don't know what that is, but I did not feel good about any of it. I didn't 
I just, I did not like her with the twins. I did not like her with Martin Mole. I didn't like her with that boyfriend. Not even sure about that doctor. Exactly, the gun-toting doctor. Right. Where did that gun come from? Where was that? <laughs> what, what the fuck was this supposed to be? Also, does she not have parents? She's 16 years old. Send her home and to her parents, not to her like 23-year-old boyfriend. What the fuck? Who has a house in Beverly Hills. He's <laughs> what in- is happening? Ah. Uh, but the bro- they drop her off, uh, everyone's saying goodbye, and the brothers realize with more mouthfuls of spit than I ever thought possible. <laughs> oh, foul up, clock, fouled up. So they have to rush to make their delivery and get their toxic waste. Um, of course, this starts yet another uh, car chase with the cops. Yeah. While this is going on. Who, who interjects? Who makes a call on the CB radio? The real hero of the narrative. Mitchell! Mitchell calls and tells them Martin Mole's coming for Holly! It's Martin freaking Mole! Get out of there! The the timing between the voiceover of Mitchell and the reaction by the actors is fucking amazing. Because it's yeah. like you hear Mitchell going, Breaker 1-9, Breaker 1-9, and then beat, beat, beat. And then the, the woman playing the doctor goes... That sounds like Mitchell Farber. <laughs> beat, totally beat, like, beat. Hey guys, then he... guys, you got a light here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a part earlier where Martin Mull and the German guy, the German guy forgets the character's name. I swear to God, he forgets the character's name because Martin Mull says a character's name, no response. Then he shouts it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I guess we should say Holly gives them her device, which it, it just looks like a regular remote control, which, like, this is a joke in the film, but also yeah. it's like you could tell the production staff was like, Here's the device. Yes. It's a remote control. <laughs> Let's do a joke about how it looks like a remote control. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, we are not making one for you. Um, <laughs> they're using this device to like turn all the red lights green as they're like going down the road, right? Like They're using our electrical device to make a quicker path to San Pedro where they're going to drop all this stuff out. But when they hear that Martin Mole and the goons are coming for Holly, they decide, you know what? No, we're going back. We're going to rescue her from Rich Kyle, who's holding point. her at gunpoint. So they smash down the doors of the house and they punch out Richard Kyle and save the day. Outside, the evil guys from the Techstar meeting all show up at this house in LA. I'm not sure all of this, like, how is this, like, coordinated? Like, are they all just, like, they're all there. There they are. Well, they're all just right here right now. They were in Montana a second ago. Um, Holly gives a speech that fixes everything somehow. (laughs) And then decides that she is going to take the high road and break the device. She's going to break it. Boom. Smash it up. The bad guys, you're kind of like, okay, well, these are mafia guys, right? The Montana mafia. Yeah. Yeah. That's who they are. So they could theoretically kill all of them. I mean, all mafia of Mafia don't like to leave witnesses. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But instead, they just grab Martin Mole and take him away. And everyone else is safe for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just like, you broke your contract with us. But, like, I mean, she smashed the device, and she's the only one who can build a new one. Whatever. Martin Mole is gone, and the gangsters are gone, and everything is fine, and everyone is safe for some reason. However, who shows up? Corky, who shows up? Sweeney! No! You son of a bitch! David Kara drunk. steals... 
lucky unaware that the toxic waste is still rolling around in the back and actually tips over and starts dribble dribbling out brothers see this they are crestfallen they're ready to give up their dreams but holly makes another speech that fixes everything somehow she tells them they're not losers like their father they're obviously heroes and as it turns out one of the brothers switched her device with a real remote control uh, and everything is fine. Everyone kisses except for one of the brothers who says, I hate the mushy part, and he turns off the movie. Movie's over, right? Meh. Wrong. In an 80-yard sequence, we learn that the brothers <laughs> right. get Lucky back. <laughs> they get her back, and they were able to make those payments because Holly cut them in on the profits from her invention, which is selling like hotcakes. So they have their truck. She's got her invention. They're all making money. Everyone's fine and in love, and it's all good. Who the fuck is buying this thing? And yeah. what nefarious purposes could they be using it for? The I nation just, is being brought it. to its knees. The country right? is not operating anymore with everybody just turning things off willy-nilly. It is not safe. I mean, look, hey, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. I'm, I'm a bit of an old school marm. I'll say it. It's not safe for people to randomly change traffic lights at busy intersections. <laughs> Or to just shut off a power grid whenever they feel like it. That's not safe. Can we just say that Holly is a co-conspirator in a plot to kill the Secretary of State now? <laughs> Many the people secret- will die needlessly. The Secretary, Secretary of State is State. dead. Oh, yeah. No. Secretary is gone. So sorry. So sorry. How many plane crashes have happened because they've turned off Air well, control kids are monitor. buying these things and they're just going it up, pointing it at whatever. They're just buying it at the radio shack there. Yeah, Holly, human monster. There <laughs> I said it. Uh, many dying needlessly across the country. And that is your happy ending. The end. The movie is Think Big. No doubt, no about, doubt it. about it. And over the closing credits, as you said, we get the long version. Yeah, I'm going to play a little bit of it. This is how it sounds right now. Corky, yeah, the movie. It's called Think Big. Any final thoughts before we give our ratings for this film? You see the boom several times in this movie. The boom that is amazing, isn't it? During the airport scene and the scene at uh, Holly's boyfriend, Holly's thirty-year-old boyfriend's Playboy Mansion. Yeah, wow, boom mic. I've not seen a boom mic. I know, <laughs> in a long time. You used to see that a lot, especially like in the '80s and '90s and stuff, because. They would shoot the movies when everything was projected on film. They would shoot the movie with like a little bit of a border around it. Yeah. But in the 80s and 90s, all the projectionists started be uh, became like non-union, so they were just you know kids making minimum wage and stuff like that. So no one knew how to fucking frame a movie. Yeah. So you would watch a movie and it would just be wrong framed, and the, just the boom mic is dropping every like third scene or something like that. But in this one, it's like here it is, like perfectly cropped for television and everything. And, like, this movie there's was that never going to get like, shown in a theater. <laughs> And they just let the boom dip in. It's like, whatever. It's fine. But again, I didn't hate it. 
I didn't hate it either, but um, I sure didn't like it. I sure didn't like it. But no, uh, compared to uh, something that's really rancid and and, and hateful like Doolittle, it's um, yeah. you know, there's a sweetness to it. Um, that's absolutely for sure. So, Corky, let's give our ratings to this one. Remind everyone, run-of-the-mill bad film, dare, next-level bad, double dare, and a movie we like, reverse dare. Corky, your rating for Think Big, no doubt about it. So, <laughs> it's, got, uh, it's got totally double dare acting writing shooting however there were moments where i genuinely laughed at just how awkward and silly but not not like laughing in a condemning way laughing at like look at just he's staring at her while he's eating (laughs) it was almost sweet in a way so i think i think it meets the two and i'm gonna call it a dare the the Mm. the production budget and all that stuff that's a double dare quality but i'm gonna call it a dare uh you would i think you will crack up if you spent an hour and a half of your life watching this movie yeah i'm silly uh dare for me to you know can't go reverse dare because it's just too thoroughly incompetent and honestly annoying and but also it's not it's not hateful you know yeah Um, and and compared to something like doolittle that feels kind of machine made and that feels like it's processed uh, by you know robots or artificial intelligence as some kind of idea of what a movie should be for mass audiences this is obviously handmade this is like your son brings you home like the ashtray and it's got like holes in it and shit like that like here's here's the mug i made for you mom it does not hold liquid you know but like oh you made this yourself oh sweet you know what i mean like it's 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 charming in a weird sort of way so i'm gonna go dare well, and I would like to say that if anybody thinks Hollywood is a meritocracy, this is John, <laughs> John Turtletop went from making this to like a sweet Disney career where he, I mean, he's making shit movies, but he's banked, right? Yeah. So, I mean, come on. He, this movie was his first. And then he made the movie with that German guy who played the German goon, who I guess is some big star in Europe. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. And it looks like it's a dare because it's him and Billy D. Williams. And oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm in. That's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel. But we'll be back in two weeks to review another one of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com. Be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on the Schmied. That is Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us. And hey, send in, you know, email us and let us know what are you doing with all your time now that you say Schmied instead of social media? Like, how are you spending those many hours a day that you have um, banked for that? And we want to hear. We want to hear from you. Like and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, you can read more of my movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky, where can people find you and your chicken bone? Well, you can find me in Billings, Montana, which is actually just outside of Chatsworth, <laughs> California, down in L.A., <laughs> Uh, actually, I'm not performing anywhere right now. We're just doing streaming shows at Sack Comedy Spot. But I want you to take the moments of time that you would have gone out to go see a comedy show. Go to our website. Go to anywhere you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star rate. Give us a five-star review. Tell us what we're doing right with the show. Tell us what we're doing wrong with the show. But give us that five-star rating and help us get in the algorithm. Good stuff. For Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. And I'm Corky McDonald saying, on the count of three, we're going to say Sweeney, okay? One, two. Three. Sweeney. 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 Uh, Sweeney. Sweeney. Was I supposed to go first? Baby. Chicken bone, chicken bone, chicken bone. Chicken bone every time. We love you. (laughs) Bye-bye.